I was in school for a long time and nothing made the school year fly by better than having a good teacher. Today I want to talk about Dr. Ken Berry and the charismatic, comedic, down-to-earth way that he teaches about the ketogenic lifestyle that helped me not only to learn what I needed to learn to solve my metabolic issues, but then to continue using what he taught me in the last two years, yeah, two years, to help me maintain this lifestyle. Hello everyone, welcome to Mind Blowing Health and Wellness with Violet. I'm Violet, I'm a psychologist, and the reason that I make these videos is because I want everyone to understand that through managing your mental health and physical health, you can actually live that happy life that you want to live. If you find these kind of videos helpful, please consider subscribing. So being a psychologist, when I finish my workday, oftentimes I just want to go home and relax. I don't want to think too hard. I still have to get there and eat supper. Usually it's like after eight o'clock by the time I'm done. That's a long day. My ability to relax got destroyed when my hip started hurting me, which for those of you who don't know my story, I started a ketogenic lifestyle because I had a hip issue. And so when I was getting home after spending the entire day at the office trying to sit in pain, to go home and then try to look up solutions for my hip issue, it seemed like working another three to four hours. And this is where finding Dr. Ken Berry's videos really did help me a lot because I love the idea of being able to watch something that's entertaining and educational. And oh my goodness, did his videos fit that bill. At China Mart, Garbage, McWindy Kings. Aside from the fact that the videos were entertaining, Dr. Berry had a very good way of presenting scientific information so that we could understand it without having to think too hard. For those people who are not science background like myself, the information he was giving was enough. It was enough to understand why what was happening to you was happening to you and what to do about it. So even on that level, there were some pieces of information I didn't have to fact check further because I knew what he was saying was true. Just because you say something is natural doesn't mean that it's good for you, okay? Chicken poop is natural and organic, but you shouldn't eat it. Got it? The same way with wild, organic, unprocessed honey. Yes, that's less bad than the processed crap that comes from China, no doubt, but it's still going to spike your blood sugar off the chart, which is gonna spike your insulin, and then we lead down the fat cascade that we keep talking about. There's no such thing as healthy honey. The easygoing way that he delivers information and gives you good examples allows for binge watching his information sometimes for hours just because it's interesting, it's educational, and it's funny. Today I want to go through the top 10 things that I learned through watching Dr. Barry's videos that I've been able to apply to my life consistently to maintain my good health because I really hope that by learning about these things you will also be able to apply them to your life and make radical changes that live with you forever into the future. So Dr. Barry helped me to understand that the keto flu is actually a conversation about carb addiction. Keto flu. Now, this is not really the flu. This is not contagious at all. You may already know this or you may not, but we actually have a sort of addiction to sugars and carbs and simple carbohydrates and starches. Uh, they actually stimulate the pleasure centers in our brain and stimulate dopamine secretion. Just like if you were addicted to some narcotic or street drug, you get the same kind of dopamine release when you eat 
that that bagel or that honey bun or that ice cream cone. That's why we love it so much and we call it comfort food, right? But you've got to break that addiction. You've got to break that cycle and that's going to hurt for a few days. And so if an alcoholic is trying to to get off alcohol and he's having he's not feeling well, then the last uh, advice you would ever give him is, hey, you should take a shot of whiskey, right? It'll make you feel better. Well, yeah, short term it would, but that doesn't mean that he should do that, right? He needs to stick with it until he's broke the alcohol addiction, just like you need to stick with it until you've broke the sugar and starch and simple carb addiction. Now, this opens up that idea that we're so used to eating high carbohydrate foods that, first of all, we don't even think about taking those high sugar foods out of our diet because it's almost everything we eat. But then the other side of that coin is that when we talk about these junk foods, we talk about the foods as if we actually like them and enjoy them without realizing, well, no, you're addicted to them. So I was addicted to them and craving them and chasing them under the radar, right? But the interesting thing to me is that by putting these carbohydrate heavy foods down and not eating them anymore, I don't miss them. No chocolate or cookies or chips or ice cream, like not chasing carbohydrates any longer. And I really had to accept this idea that that joke I used to make about being a chocoholic wasn't a joke. I was actually addicted. So having a doctor talk about the ketogenic way of life as a valid lifelong way of eating that will solve this addictive behavior that I was engaging, well, it helped me to solidify my commitment to getting off my carb addiction and actually engaging this diet fully. The other thing that I learned was that I'm not alone. I love the way he explains things because he kind of pulled the curtain back and let us see the wizard behind the curtain by pointing out that food coma idea. Food coma can also be called carb coma, okay? And so remember that, that's important because it's when you eat too many carbs, that's when you get food coma or carb coma. That's what's causing this because what happens, you eat a lot of just simple starches or sugars or crap like that. Your blood sugar starts to spike because of all the glucose coming into your system. Then your insulin level spikes to try to aggressively grab that blood sugar level and pull it back down to normal. But many times, if you're starting to get insulin resistant, it'll pull it too low. And then you'll get that low blood sugar. And then you're, you're doing this after lunch when you're supposed to be paying attention in that meeting or that teleconference, that's food coma. But you can also now know that it's carb coma. You'll never get this if you eat a big fatty lunch with no carbs. Pointing out that tryptophan is not the reason that we all get sleepy in the after we have a big turkey dinner. Because if we pay attention, what we notice is that a lot of people get sleepy in the afternoon after eating lunch. And most people don't have turkey for lunch, first of all. But as he pointed out, beef has more tryptophan in it than turkey. So if tryptophan isn't the reason, what could possibly be the real reason that people get so exhausted after Thanksgiving dinner? And he pointed to the fact that a lot of people have a lot of carby foods alongside that turkey. All of a sudden, you start looking and realizing, oh my goodness, if I think about when I used to work in the office, after lunch, so the afternoon, oh my goodness, were people like lethargic and how many times have I caught people napping in the office? When I started to work alone, how many times did I fall asleep 
in the in the office when I was waiting for clients and I had to wait more than an hour between clients, the examples are everywhere. We are all addicted to carbohydrates. Like it's if you pay attention, you see it. Changing my way of eating, I am no longer tired in the afternoon. Like that's this I see clearly. But what's more important to me is recognizing that I wasn't alone. We're all addicted to carbs and we all need to make a conscious effort to change this addiction. So in my early part of my uh, journey, I was thinking about getting a keto meter of some sort because I wanted to be sure that I was in ketosis and I wasn't really certain how would I know that. And I came across a video from Dr. Barry that talked about the best way to actually know if you're in ketosis. And I was surprised to find out that all I really needed to do was pay attention to my body. Number four is that you decrease your carb cravings. You know those carb cravings, they'll get less and less as you become more fat adapted. And that meant noticing if I was fatigued or not fatigued, which he thought I would have more energy. Noticing that I could go longer between meals without feeling hungry. Noticing that my carb cravings would fall away and that I would have more mental clarity. So the funny thing about this is I was willing to go pay a few hundred dollars for some kind of keto meter to learn that actually the best tool that I had for checking if I was in ketosis was me. So that saved me 300 bucks and it also helped me to be able to check it with myself on a daily basis whether or not I was actually in ketosis. Now for those of you who do watch my videos you know that at this point um, I rarely have any, I, I don't have cravings actually for carbs and I make it 24 hours between meals. So once I realized that carbohydrates were dangerous, as a matter of fact, poisonous to us, then the other thing that happened was I started to be very hardcore about the fact that nobody should ever eat them and that we should eliminate this idea that sweet is positive from our, from our ideas altogether. Not everybody is going to be able to just throw carbohydrates away like I did. What was really interesting for me to kind of play around with in my head was the idea that my hip issue was so intensely painful and not being managed by the traditional eat less, move more, lose weight situation, it, like it didn't help my hip. I did think my hip was a weight problem initially. When I found out that carbohydrates were actually the problem, I was really, first of all, angry because I felt how could I not have known this and how could I have been so tricked all these years? And then I was almost on like a crusade. No one should ever eat your heart. And I was upset. <laughs> but I think watching Dr. Barry's um, videos helped me to understand that some people do need to transition more slowly than I did. Fire is a very powerful tool, but if you misuse it, it will burn the house down, right? And I think no calorie sweeteners are the same way. Many people use them as a tool as they're starting a ketogenic way of eating or a low carb, healthy fat diet. And then as they get further into that diet, they just kind of wean down and stop using the sweeteners. And I think that's the ideal way to do this. But if you're just getting started, a lot of times using something that's sweetened with a, a zero calorie sweetener can save the day because you didn't just eat 20, 30 grams of carbs and you satiated that sweet tooth temporarily. Uh, but other people have to be very careful with this using a zero calorie sweetener can actually fire up the sweet tooth and get the carb cravings back again. So you have to know you and you have to know, is this going to work for you or not? Now, what's interesting to me is that, you know, aspartame and other toxic sweeteners and they're toxic. We know they're toxic sweeteners. He suggested that they, they can still be used in that transition process because he suggested that 
it's more important for us to get to the point where we don't need sugar. And so in that interim, having a sweetener and then transitioning to not having the sweetener in the long term was going to be much more healthy. I understand now that it's much better for someone to use something that's going to help them to make the transition than to try not to use an artificial sweetener and then end up not getting off of sugar. I do want to point out though that I still believe that the ultimate goal should be to get off of artificial sweeteners as well, only because it's not just the sugar that causes our insulin spikes to happen. Artificial sweeteners also cause insulin spikes to happen because when our brain detects so when our brain gets a signal from our mouth that something sweet's incoming, our body still reacts as if there's something sweet incoming, which unfortunately, even though the artificial sweetener doesn't actually have any caloric content to it, when our body puts sugar away in anticipation for that sugar that we're about to drink or eat coming in, but then no sugar comes in, our body will then push us to go find food. This one's an interesting one because I did do science classes and I am aware that in science, when we grew things in a Petri dish, we were growing them in a substrate that had sugar in it. And at the same time, like it didn't click to me that sugar will help to grow cancer, even in the body. What do you feed cancer cells in the lab so that they don't die? What do they love to eat? Sugar, you, give, you feed them sugar. They have to have a few minerals and vitamins, but mainly their energy source is sugar. That's what they eat, they love that. And if you feed them that, they'll flourish in the lab, so it stands to reason they might also flourish in your body as well if you feed them too much sugar. The second is, if you actually look on, uh, just Google it or look on pubmed.gov, you can find studies, and they're small, no doubt, but there are studies that show a correlation between the amount of sugar you ingest and the speed at which your cancers grow. And so when Dr. Barry talked about this, it wasn't a far leap for me to say, oh, wow, my goodness, yes, that's true. This idea helped me to solidify that taking sugar out of my life was the right thing to do, short term and long term. It wasn't just about fighting inflammation at that point. It was also about fighting cancer. And I think about my family. And yes, there are multiple people in my family, immediate, like, you know, grandmother, aunts that, that have cancer. So just the knowledge that maybe I might be saving my body that struggle in the future by eliminating sugar from my life right now, I think that's well worth the, uh, the effort that I'm making. Dr. Barry helped me to understand that cholesterol isn't bad. And it was in a video that he was talking about um, eggs. And in that video, he reminded us, because again, I think this is something that I did know at one point, that our body makes cholesterol. It's been proven time and time again that the fat and cholesterol in eggs don't raise your cholesterol. Uh, I think the average egg has something like 180 milligrams of cholesterol, and your body makes 3,000 milligrams of cholesterol a day. So that's like background noise. It's not gonna raise your cholesterol, so eat the yolks. Eating eggs or anything else that's that has cholesterol in it isn't going to stop my body from making the cholesterol that I need every day. And as a matter of fact, if I eat some cholesterol, my body just has less that it needs to make. But remember that our body strives for equilibrium, right? Homeostasis. And so if my body makes 3,000 and I eat none today, it's still going to make 3,000. If my body makes 3,000 and I eat 1,000 today, well, then my body will make 2,000 
but it's going to make sure that it has the amount that it needs to be able to function the way it's supposed to function. That piece of information has allowed me today to double check facts of medical advice that I'm given and just to verify that the advice I'm being given matches with what I know about how the human body works. And if I don't know it, I double check it. This idea that doctors are purposefully telling us to eat or not to eat certain things so that we can become ill and they can get our money. Like I actually believe him when he says that most doctors do not get enough uh, training on food to be able to really help us to lose weight. Four years of medical school and I could hold all my nutrition training and notes in one hand. That's ridiculous. Your doctor, if he's, if you have a fat doctor, it's not because he's not a hard worker or she, it's because they don't know about human nutrition and prevention and weight loss because they're trying to do the very things that they're telling you to do. I know this because I used to be that fat doctor who would walk in the exam room and then counsel a patient on how to lose weight and be healthier. Obviously, I don't even know how to do this, but yet I'm going to get paid to teach this poor patient how to do what I'm doing. Yeah, so I had to basically go back to medical school again when it comes to nutrition. I had to do my own learning. I had to read a bunch of books. I had to watch a bunch of videos like this one. I had to do a lot of new learning, and that's why they call it practice. So that's why they're overweight doctors is because they don't know how to lose weight. And, and it's true, if you think about how many overweight doctors there actually are, if they had this information and they, if they had the right information and they were just not giving it to us, it still doesn't explain why they are overweight as well. So I do believe that the fact that we are all addicted to carbohydrates, even doctors, is a much more likely explanation for why we're overweight than the idea that doctors are hiding information from us. So I, I appreciated Dr. Barry for putting that piece of information out there because it truly did help me to change my perspective on what do I think is the reason that we're still eating this many carbohydrates. Watching Dr. Barry's videos clarified for me the difference between Atkins and keto. One of the things I found interesting is that he was very clear about the fact that it's not a high protein diet. A lot of people think if they're going to follow a low carb diet, then that by definition means they're going to be eating a high protein diet. And that's just not true. If you eat too much protein, you will spike your insulin level. He pointed out that if you eat too much protein, you can actually spike your insulin. There's a lot of science behind why that actually happens that he doesn't go into. But I do believe that learning that piece of information helped me to understand that protein is a pivot. So the amount of protein that you were eating before you started to do keto that was healthy for you, if you were eating the right amount, is the amount of protein that you should continue to eat on a ketogenic lifestyle. The average woman though tends to eat not enough protein in her typical diet. And so yes, for the average woman, you're probably going to have to add protein to your diet when you start to live a ketogenic lifestyle, but we don't want to overdo it, right? You want to eat the amount for the lean body mass that you have on you or the lean body mass that you want to have on you. The interesting thing about protein is that protein tends to come along with fat. And if you're eating the fat that comes along with the protein, there's a very high likelihood that you're not gonna end up overeating your protein because you're gonna be satiated 
um, and like ver therefore not able to overeat as much as you think you might be able to overeat your protein. Why you don't want to overeat anything is because if you overeat sugar, protein, or fat, you're going to gain weight because if you overeat it, that means you ate more than your body needed. And so think about it like this. If you're building a house and you're, they tell you, you need, you know, 20 tons of bricks and you order 30, what will happen to that other 10 tons of bricks, right? Like it's at your home and you're going to have to put it somewhere, right? And then even when the house is all built up and looking beautiful, you've got these piles of bricks everywhere that you have nowhere to put them. And maybe that are even going to block the driveway or block a door entrance. And so it's going to interfere with the look of your home and it's going to interfere with the function of your home. So having the extra didn't actually do you any benefit. It's the same thing when you think about your body. It's like you're intaking what you need to be able to fuel and build your body. So don't overdo it. Just get what you need. Which actually rolls in nicely to the next thing that Dr. Barry helped me to really focus on, which is the idea that food is fuel. Before you put anything in your mouth, liquid or solid, think, is this going to nourish my body in some way? And if it's not, you probably shouldn't eat that. And this idea has helped me to maintain some really, really important baseline things for my physical health. First of all, if I feel hungry, I eat a meal. I do not snack. The part of the reason for that is every time you eat anything, your insulin rises. So the idea of getting a snack means that I would eat something small while waiting to eat that bigger meal, but then that insulin spike which is cumulative over the course of your day, right? So that insulin spike is going to add on to whatever insulin spike I have during my meal. The math of all of this for your body says that it's better for you to eat the meal. So even if, so going back to the points in time when I was having fun foods more often, even if I wanted to eat some nuts or cheese or something, what I would do is take that food and add it to the end of my meal. The other thing I did from the beginning is I chose foods based on their nutritional value. I also did make keto-friendly foods at the beginning, like keto-friendly keto snacks at the beginning. But again, all the ingredients were quality ingredients that, because I made it, I never bought keto snacks because I didn't know a lot of what those ingredients were on the label. So I would only make keto snacks. So I made sure, and I still to this day make sure that whatever I'm eating, I know that it's nutritious and going to help my build, body build properly. And the final thing that I've done based on learning that food is fuel is that I find my entertainment elsewhere. So this means that I do things like engage with people and, and do activities and, and hobbies and things like that. So for example, every day I have quality time with my daughter, whether we're out running around doing something outside or whether we're watching something funny on television or her, she's showing me something funny on her phone. Also, when Patrick and his boys come over, we, again, focus our time on doing fun things together. And it's not about eating for fun. Obviously, this leads to the added benefit of making great memories that we're going to have forever. The other thing that Dr. Barry did that has changed the way that I have been living my ketogenic lifestyle forever is explained that whenever you eat carbohydrates to excess, you are damaging the small arteries in your body. Anytime your blood sugar is above 140, you are doing permanent damage to every small artery in your body. 
the arteries that feed your eyes, that feed your brain, your heart, your kidneys, other vital organs that you want to continue to work properly, eventually they'll fail if the blood supply has been damaged enough that they just don't have the blood supply. That's why diabetics lose toes and feet and legs and that's why diabetics are blind and are on dialysis is because these small arteries have been damaged by the high blood sugar for so long they just stop working and that's when life stops being fun is when body, body parts stop working. Now from that piece of information I extrapolated you're probably also damaging the large arteries in your body there are so many negative repercussions of eating sugar in the moment. So it's as it's happening. Your blood sugar goes above a certain amount. That sugar is now circulating and damaging your arteries until your body is able to pull it back down. Knowing that every time I eat more sugar than the recommended, so more than 20 grams of carbs a day, means that my body is actually being damaged. Put me in the position of saying, that doesn't make sense and therefore I will not do that because I like seeing. I like being able to think and I like being able to run around and use my limbs. And so therefore knowing that sugar has this great of a negative effect on my body helped me to say I'm keeping my grams of carbs under 20 for the rest of my life. It helped me to create that good habit. And I want to put it to you like this. If someone were to say to you that every time they went to fill up their car, they threw a dash of sugar in the fuel tank, we probably would all look at that situation and say, well, that's a bad idea. But yet, I know for myself, I can talk about me. I was eating somewhere between 200 and 300 grams of carbs every day before I learned this information. And I was doing that with, with increasing weight. I was doing that obviously with pains and aches that I didn't realize were coming from that sugar. And I was doing that because I didn't know better. Now that I know better, what am I doing? We need to keep in mind that eating carbohydrates has one purpose, for fun. That's what it is. The reason I still sometimes put carbohydrates on my plate, because they're fun to eat. I never go over 20 grams of carbs in a day. As a matter of fact, I rarely go past 15, but that's me. But they're for fun. Being healthy is a lifelong project. I want to know what you're doing to work on yours. Put it in the comments. If you like this kind of video, like and subscribe. And if you'd like to contribute to production of videos, Amazon links, Patreon links are in the description below. I want to thank you for watching Mind Blowing Health and Wellness with Violet. I will talk to you again next week.